0: Welcome to the 30-Minute Hour. It's the weekly podcast where we discuss business, sports, politics, and whatever's on our mind. I'm your host, Eric Twiggs, your procrastination prevention partner. Joining me is Ted Fells. He's the business strategist extraordinaire and all-around good guy. All right, all right. Good evening, everyone. All right. Any any updates to share? Anything oh, about the? Oh
1: man, softball! I know that's what you wanted. To oh so. yeah. So, so let me tell you. Last week, um, we found out that we we made the playoffs, Eric. You made the playoffs, Eric. We made the playoffs. We were we were four and six. So our games last week that we were supposed to play, the team forfeited. That made us six and six. Put us in third place. So, we had a...
0: a win's a win.
1: Uh, however you get there, right? <laughs> Just win, baby. <laughs> hey, how, how, we'll, we'll take it, right? We'll, we'll take it. There you go. So, the playoffs was yesterday, and the way it was set up was our first game was going to be at 6.30. If we win that game, then we go and we play another game, I think like at 8.30, uh, and that would be the championship. Now, if we lose the first game, we'd have to stay until like 9.30 to play... Some consolation game to me is nothing. Like a loser's game. Mm. Right? That's that's what we were going to have to Right, do. right. So we came out there, man, and we played probably one of our best games of the season. You okay. want to know what happened? What happened? We lost. Uh, we lost, man. We lost by two runs. Painful. Yeah, that's painful. Painful. And So the team we lost to ended up winning the championship. So we had to watch them win and then play a game after that, the, the losers' game.
0: Uh huh. He had to play the consolation game. Right. Against okay. the other
1: team that lost.
0: Yeah.
1: You know what happened? Well What happened? We lost again. <laughs> so we had to wait till nine thirty. Wow. To lose again. Mm-hmm. But it was a great season. We made the playoffs and you know,
0: had fun. So, yeah. Season's over. Well, that's good. I mean, I, I'm glad to see you went on a competitive run and yeah. made it interesting. Absolutely. That's what we did. So, yeah, it's, it's not your everyday podcast. No. So our other co-host, Britton Smith, he's the renaissance man. He's the man who refuses to be pigeonholed. But right now he's not here. Shocking. I know. That's a surprise, isn't it? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a surprise. Yeah. So, so he, he could join us.
1: At any moment.
0: At any moment. And chime in with something profound, profound, and he'll be prepared for the conversation.
1: True. That's very true. Very true. So we'll, we'll listen out for him, and hopefully he'll join us at some point.
0: Absolutely. So you can join us on Facebook. You can join us on Instagram. You can join us on YouTube by typing in the 30-minute hour into the search engine. But just prepare yourself. Like we said, it's not your everyday podcast. And this week I have something on my mind.
1: You don't say.
0: I know it It's probably a good thing, being that yeah. this is a podcast. We should yeah. probably have things to talk about. That's right. Things on your mind. That's a good thing about having your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I
1: mean. You just talk about what you want to talk about. Right. It's your show. Right. So let's we can do. We talk it. about
0: softball. That's it. We could also talk about making the jump to your next level. Okay. You got to make the jump to your next level, and uh, I saw this study, right? Mm-hmm. And they studied these skydivers. There's like 22 of them, mm-hmm. and they put a heart rate monitor on them. They wanted to see when they would start feeling afraid when they were about to jump out of an airplane. At what point would they start feeling afraid? Mm-hmm. Right? I would be. I'm, I'm afraid. just thinking about it, the yes. idea of you jumping out of yeah, an airplane. It's yeah,
1: funny you said. I know. You know, a couple people I know like to. to celebrate their birthdays they're like you know what we're gonna jump out of a plane right you know you want to do it you want to join us no i, I, I have but no desire no, not doing to that. jump out of a perfectly right. good airplane no right
0: so so they, they put this heart rate monitor on these skydivers uh-huh. and they wanted to measure it when did their heart rate go up when when was it at its highest point Here, here's what they found they found that they were at the heart rate was at its highest point right before they were about to jump But it actually went down when they were in the air.
1: It's too late to worry then, I guess.
0: Their heart rate went down when they were in the air. So so what does that tell us? They were more afraid of what might happen Mm. than what did happen.
1: Okay, okay.
0: They were more afraid of what might happen than what did happen. And and when you think about business, Mm. you think about public. A lot of people are afraid of public speaking. You're more afraid of what might happen what actually does happen I mean you think like I, I know for myself I, I can remember a time when uh, I was going through an orientation I had to do a, a prepared speech this is like one of the first times I'd done something like this and they said you have to do this 10-minute presentation the following day I literally didn't sleep the night before mm. I was afraid about what might happen mm. and the next day it went fine everybody tell me what a great job mm. I did but, but here's, here's the thing, and this is what's key for the listeners, this really ties in to the guests we're going to bring on, is that you have to get on the other side of your fear. Okay. To get to that next level, your next level resides on the other side of whatever you're afraid of. Hmm. That's a big thing. Can you think of a time when you were afraid to have a conversation, afraid to go into a meeting, or uh, feeling fearful, but that thing was necessary for you to do?
1: Yeah, I think any time that I've ever had to do a presentation mm-hmm. of any type, I think there's that type of a nervousness, right? like right before, and like you're just kind of, you know, thinking it through what's going to happen, you got to make, are you going to remember everything that you want to talk about, is it going to go over well with the audience, and you know, and you just, you know, you're just sitting there, right, and you're just like waiting for that opportunity to go up there and, and get started. And, uh, and usually, you know, it's, it, it goes a lot better than, uh, you know, than you could have ever imagined. Another thing that I'm, I'm one thing that I'm, I'm really not that good at in business a lot is we have to, you know, we prepare for these presentations and a lot of people would like to do, like, dry runs. Right. You get together, we're going to go through this, we're going to do this three or four times. Like, I'm the worst at dry runs. Hmm. Because I just know that, like, I'm just, like, kind of like a gamer, man. Like, I just got to go in there and I just got to just, I just got to do it. Right. Right. Like, I kind of know what I'm going to talk about to some degree, but like, if I, if I went over it two or three different times before, it's going to be different every time in that time that I actually do it. Right. It's just going to be, it's going to, it's just going to be totally different. So I almost feel like, yeah, let's just kind of read through it. There's no need to be trying to do it because you know, that energy when I get in and, you know, look at the room and just kind of get a feel for it and then I just kind of go. Right. So it's never usually as, as, as big of a deal once you kind of, Right. Once you get, get started. I think getting started is just a just getting to that point. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's kind of like a, a plane, right? And you just kind of go on and then that moment when you just take off and like you're good from there. Right. You know, so. Yeah, that's that's probably, you know, one of the I do you know, you feel some anxiety, you know, leading up to it. Mhm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I, I've just learned over the years to just take that as a signal. When I feel that little feeling, yeah, that, that that's a signal of something I have to do. Yeah. Because when you get on the other side that that's when it's better. You know, that made me think of one other time though, Eric.
1: So as a kid you know, I, I had an opportunity one time, I used to be in a choir at church, uh-huh. and I had an opportunity to sing a solo. Oh, a wow. Kid. I know, right? Me. I had to sing a solo. And so we practiced and practiced and practiced. And, and then that day, you know, and I was in children's choir. That day, this was my moment. Uh-huh. And I was ready. And I got up there and I kind of froze up. And then, you know, first playing the piano and just, I guess she kind of knew that I kind of froze. And then she kind of stopped and then started again. And so then I kind of picked it up from there. But, like, that right there was was something because you used to always be in with a whole bunch of people, right? Just one time, like, by myself. Right. Right. Like, you're not in the shower right now. Like, you're here, everybody's looking at you. That was, yeah. So, I think I did pretty good, but... I don't think I was ever asked to ever do a solo thing, like, ever. Like, you know, I'm like, hey, look at me, look at me, you know. Never yeah, so, asked you again. Yeah, that,
0: that was it. That was probably 30 years ago, yeah. But here's the thing. You're still here to talk about it, that's
1: right? That's right. That's right. Right. That's you, right. You survived that thing. I survived it. Yeah. Because it was like it was very quiet in that church like, area. Like, <laughs> like, you could hear a pin drop. we were looking at it like, oh, who gave him right. that kid an opportunity to sing a solo? Uh, then, then they all lie to you and say you did such a great, such a great job, such a great job. Can I try again? No, <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> so, but yeah, the key is you have to make the jump to the next level. Yeah, and if you really want, to, you almost have to make it the thing you're afraid of. That has to be part of your growth plan. Mm. And just that's a sign of something you need to do. Oh, yeah. If you want to grow, if you want to get better, if you want to get to that next level, that's that's something to consider. It's funny. This kind of leads to where we're going with this show. Okay. So I, I joined Toastmasters, mm. and I heard about this contest. It was called the World Championship of Public Speaking.
1: Oh, that's serious.
0: Yeah, it's serious. It's not a game. It's <laughs> a World
1: Championship.
0: The World Championship. It's bigger than your softball thing. No, this, this that, is
1: that sounds pretty big, the World Champion.
0: The World Championship. Right. So... I start competing. I start having some success, right? Yeah. I start winning at the early, the, the club level, the area uh, level. Yeah. And I start telling people. I'm pretty good at this. I, said, hey, you know, <laughs> I start I start telling people, hey, I'm in this contest and this and that. I have a friend of mine. His name is Richard Morris. Uh-huh. And he says, man, you got to talk to this guy. I know this guy. Yeah. yeah. He won the whole contest yeah. the first time he tried. The first time? You the gotta, world championship? Yeah. You got to talk to this guy named Ed. And I'm like, Richard, man, Ed is not going to want to talk to me. You know, he, he, he's big time. No, Eric, you got to talk to him.
2: Yeah.
0: And he could, so I knew I was going to see Richard again. Okay. So, you better call Ed. I, I decided to call Ed, and I tell you what, it's one of the best phone calls I've made. Really? What, what he taught me, I still apply today hmm. as I go about speaking. Okay. So, and we'll go ahead and introduce him, and we'll also get his take on. Overcoming your fears. This is what he does. Okay. You know, he's <laughs> the world champion. <laughs> he's the world champion So so he's an award-winning International keynote speaker. He's a trainer. He's an author uh, He's known as the speaker who energizes educates and entertains and to date He's spoken in all in the 50 states and 25 countries and wow. on five continents. Wow so he won The World Championship of Public Speaking in 2000, Mm. year 2000, he won this contest. It's like it's it's just like American Idol, except it's not. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) It's the American Idol of public speaking. But no, it's it's the American Idol of public speaking. Okay. So there's 352,000 members of Toastmasters. Yeah. He finished number one. He was in 2000. He's the world champion. He was crowned the world champion of public speaking. He's also achieved the designation of Certified Speaking Professional, which is only given to 12% of the speaking population.
1: Let me tell you something. If you're the world champion of public speaking, you should be able to have every certification that has to do anything with <laughs> <to>
0: public speaking. <laughs> so please join me in welcoming to the 30-minute hour, Ed Tate. <sighs> we Thank
2: are you, America, the champions. Ted, I appreciate it. My friend
3: <laughs> dun,
1: dun, dun, dun. All right, The champ This is the first time,
3: uh, first time I got live singing <laughs> And I told you I was pretty good I told to you I was pretty good at this Was that song you
4: sang?
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that, well, no, no, I had to sing, to be honest They had me singing I Gotta Be Me You remember that song I Gotta, I gotta Be man. Me?
0: Oh, man, was that um Sammy Davis? Was it Sammy? I think it might yeah. have been, yeah And I don't know why what they picked I Gotta Be Me for a church program But, oh, man. you know, it worked Okay well, Ed, it is an honor to have you on the 30-Minute Hour podcast. Welcome.
3: Thank you. It's, it's my honor to be on the 30-Minute Hour podcast.
0: <laughs> so, so we're talking about public speaking, and, and that's one of the things that scares people the most, right? Um, with Jerry, mm-hmm. Jerry Seinfeld has the joke about, you know, you have public speaking is the number one fear and death is number two. So at a funeral, people would rather... Be in the casket than doing the eulogy. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ed, you, I mean, you've done all these. You speak all over the world. You're known everywhere. Mm-hmm. Do you still get nervous?
3: I absolutely do. But before I even get into that, um, it's not public speaking that people fear. Hmm. It's uh, it's uh, it's judgment that people fear. Yeah, that's what you know, That's what people truly fear. Yes, it is. You know, the judgment of others, the judgment of their peers, the judgment of their friends. It's not public speaking, it's the judgment. The, it's, it's a fear of looking bad in front of their peers. So that's what the people really, really fear. Uh, one of my coaches, a guy by the name of Alan Weiss, he says we fear things that can't hurt us, mm. like writing and and selling and public speaking, and, or asking someone for a date or asking someone for a raise, etc. And the truth of the matter is, it's not like the caveman days. And the caveman days, there were real fears—saber-toothed tigers, you know, right a T-Rex. You know, I mean, you could really go out there and get killed. But like we're fearing things, you know, that can't hurt us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you know what we need to do is, you know, the thing that really, really uh, counts is, you know, is courage. Yes. Now you asked me the question: Is there's a couple things I do with regard to nervousness? Do I get nervous every single time? Mm. And by the way nervousness is a good thing yes it is a sign that you care about what's going on hmm. that's how I interpret nervousness yes now the two my two worst days on stage I've been a professional for 19 years okay my two worst days on stage were the days that I hopped on stage and I said I got this and there was absolutely no nervousness
2: whatsoever.
3: Hmm. <laughs> so you know, so story number one was um, back in like 2003 um, I was asked to speak in Saudi Arabia. Now, at the time, this was that we had the first Gulf War. So right next door, there was a war going on. Oh. And I'm thinking, like, man, I don't know if I want to do this. <laughs> you know? but, but I had a, fu- a buddy of mine who was a commander in the Navy. His name is Michael Abershoff. He wrote a book called Is Your Ship. And Michael said, he said, Ed, uh, number one, Saudi Arabia is a U.S. ally. He says, they, they will not let anything happen to you. He says, from the moment you land to the moment you leave, you will have, like, armed guards, and they'll treat you l- like a celebrity. And that part turned out to be very, very true. Hmm. So, and I, I did, I, and I worked really, really hard. You know, I, I asked myself, huh, how can I make my presentation relevant for this particular audience? So I took out American idioms, etc., and I really customized it. As a matter of fact, uh, there was a Saudi newspaper, and it was written in English, and I actually – incorporated some of the things i've written the article into my presentation fast forward three years later they asked me to come back so i'm about to come back i, I have a presentation in montreal so i i crushed it in montreal so i'm flying over the atlantic ocean and in my mind i've got the pre- the audience from three years ago in my head plus the audience from montreal in my head and i'm thinking i got this this is no problem and i got to tell you it was like one of the worst presentations mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. and the reason I said that is because I did not prepare like I did I did before I Did not I did I my, my speech was filled with American references mm-hmm. for example the phrase the whole nine yards it right. means nothing in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, they don't, play, they, they don't play American football. And by the way, the phrase, the whole nine yards, has nothing to do with football. It's an expression from World War II. Mm. The whole nine yards was how much gunpowder went into one of the, uh, the cannons on a battleship. And when they said, I gave them the whole nine yards, that meant that they gave them all the gunpowder. Um, and the the shell and they gave them every force they possibly could. That's what the that's the history of the phrase a whole nine yards. Wow. Most people think it's a football expression, but it's not. Yeah. But anyway, it didn't matter because either way that audience did not understand that expression. Mm. And I had idiom after idiom after idiom. Now I was, and I I remember still the beads of sweat rolling down my back. It was like that silence, Ted, you were experiencing when you sang in front of the church. Oh, man. I know exactly exactly how you felt, brother. I I still
1: feel some kind of way, just the thought of it, man. Yeah.
3: Well, anyway, I called up a really good friend of mine. Her name is Lisa Joe Landsberg, and I was so pissed, and I I still have four more presentations to give in front of this audience. And I called her up. Now, in Saudi Arabia, it's, well so I think it was like three o'clock in the morning, but it's like daytime back in the USA. And I called up Lisa Joe. I says, Lisa Joe, I, I I really stunk up the place <laughs> and she said to me, you know, I'll never forget this. She says, Ed, you got a lot of you got a lot of junk in your trunk. And I <laughs> said to myself, What in the hell does that have to do with me speaking? <laughs> you know. And and she says, What I meant was she says, Your fifty percent is better than most people's one hundred percent. She says, You probably didn't do as bad as you thought. She says, now that you're aware of that, she says, what can you do to make it better? So I literally ripped apart all three of the other presentations I had, and I I rewrote them that night. I stayed up all night, and Mm -hmm. I practiced and rehearsed, and I crushed it. And since then, I've been been invited back three or four times.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: So, you know, I do remember those moments when I was not nervous. I was overconfident. I think it's worse to be overconfident Mm -hmm. than to be nervous. Nervousness is a sign that you care. So, here's something else to consider next time you're nervous in front of a presentation. And look, you know, this is a pop quiz, all right. So, uh, so this is for you know for uh, uh, for Eric and for Ted, generally. And now, we've been joined. I think we've been joined by Britain. Is that correct?
4: Absolutely, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, everybody, keep okay. your seats. The,
0: the <laughs> Renaissance cool. man is joining so, us.
3: Okay, so we got Britain. We had we got Ted. We got Eric. Okay, pop quiz. Generally speaking. Uh, when is a presenter most nervous given a presentation at the beginning the middle or the end generally speaking which answer
0: I, I would say probably the at the beginning I would think
3: at the beginning generally yeah. speaking is at the yep. beginning generally speaking at a presentation when is the audience the most skeptical at the beginning the middle or the end
0: oh definitely the, the beginning, beginning.
3: Okay, so wouldn't you say that's a bad combination? <laughs> okay, so here's a couple things that you can do to overcome nervousness. Number one, memorize your beginning and your ending. Mm-hmm. Memorize your opening lines, your opening remarks, whatever they may be. You don't have to memorize the entire presentation, but come out strong and end strong. Yes. There's something called primacy and recency. People have a tendency to remember the first thing you said and the last thing that you said. Mm-hmm. So make sure that those two pieces are sharp. Memorize the beginning and the middle. Okay, what I'll do is that'll give you confidence. And typically, generally speaking, people are the most nervous for the first 60 to 90 seconds, and then after that, you pick up your pace. You find you you find your groove, and you can make it on from there. Okay. Uh, another thing you should do is look at nervousness as a gift. Again, it's a good sign that you care. Speaking of gifts, mentally, focus on you know forget yourself first. Focus on the gifts the content or the information you're going to give the audience. You know, it's like a gift you're going to give them. If you're focused on the gift that you're going to give the audience, guess what? You're going to be less focused on yourself. The reason that you're nervous in the first place is you're too focused on yourself and you're too concerned about what other people think about you. Hmm. Okay? You can't control that. They're gonna th- you know, they think what they think anyway. And by the way, it's none of your business. I'm sure you've heard the expression before. Mm. So focus on what you're gonna give that audience, how their lives are gonna be better after they heard your presentation. So those are some tips I have for dealing with nervousness.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. So the, the law of primacy and recency, people remember the primacy and recency. Right, people remember the first and the last things, so you really want to start strong yep. and end strong. Uh, and then nervousness is a gift. Yeah, that that's and, powerful. And,
3: and being overconfident, you know that that'll that'll, that'll catch up to you. Mm-hmm. That'll definitely catch up to you.
0: And it's funny, Ed. To this day, like anytime I have a presentation, the part that I rehearse the most, even if it's something I've done before, is the beginning. And, and I think a lot of that came mm-hmm. from the things you and I used to talk about. And you used Can to always
3: start off strong, right? Because here's here's what the audience is thinking: "Dear God, please." You know, don't let this be a waste of my time.
0: <laughs> you know,
3: I want you to think back in school to the, your worst professor. How long did that class last?
0: seemed like forever. Uh,
3: the worst professor. It lasted forever. Right. And that's what everybody's thinking. Like, and they're, they're just praying. Even in church, they're saying, like, oh, dear God, Lord, please don't let this be a bad sermon. You know. <laughs> they are. Yeah. But if you start off strong and you have something of value right away, then they're going to say, okay, all right, this is good. I'm listening, and they're going to perk up, and they're going to be with you. So that that, those, that first two minutes is so critical.
0: And Ed, I'm sure you have people that saw you speak years ago, and you opened with a story, and, and they come back, hey, Ed, I remember that. And they probably can tell you details of that story that you opened with, right? Yep.
3: There is a power in story. There's some research, of uh, the woman's name eludes me uh, right now. But uh, when you tell a story, first of all, stories are sticky. Mm-hmm. All right. So, like, given a choice between giving lecture and just out content and the story always 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 use a story and incorporate the message that you want inside the story mm-hmm. again we are programmed from stories for example before we actually had words this is how we transferred information uh, from from tribes and clans and things of this nature is it was through stories so stories are sticky they 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 incorporate a lot um, a lot of things here's something else that goes on simultaneously when you're telling your story the audience is listening, but they're also remembering something that's similar that's happening to them. So simultaneously, there are two stories which are going on at the same time. Psychologists, psychologists have proven this. So when they're listening to your story and you have a similar circumstance, um, they're actually recalling things. And guess what? That's what actually draws you closer to the audience because they're saying to themselves, so like for example, if I tell ace you know, I, I have a newborn, all right, five months old. So when I tell audience, oh, man, you know, you know, you know, forgive my, you know, my red eyes. You know, I, I got a newborn. Guess what? Everybody who's a parent knows ex- they're, they're going to laugh. They're going to chuckle mm-hmm. because they recall those days when their kids were being raised and they couldn't get any sleep. Right. Al- automatically. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. So that's when, one of the powers of stories. And you're right. I've had one time I was in, uh, I was on Broadway in New York, okay, about to cross the street. Caddy Corner uh, on Broadway. Some kids yelling at me. Hey, Mr. Tate, Mr. Tate. So I look across. I mean, this you know, in, you know, New York City like always crowded. And I see this one person waving. And I says, All right, you know, who is that? And, he's, and the guy said, It's me. And it was somebody who I had trained at Johnson, Johnson. Hmm. and Johnson. And he and he looked at me. And I taught him something like you know, I says, you know, stories are sticky. And I gave I gave him like some physical gestures as to how to remember this thing. I hadn't seen this kid in seven or eight years, and he's literally teaching the lesson that I taught him almost seven years before that. Wow! That's the power of a story. Hmm. Stories are memorable. they get between content and the story. I'm always going to tell a story. A hundred percent of my presentations begin with a story. Mm-hmm. There are absolutely no exceptions to that rule.
0: Wow! That, and that's... then the other
3: thing I'm going to do. Is here's the I also tell different types of stories. So for example, I just got a keynote address here. and I, I live just outside of uh, Las Vegas. So I'm going to be speaking in front of a, a sales team on September 11th. And sales teams are historically tough audiences. First of all, these are it's almost 100% men. Uh, these are men in you know these are baby boomers, etc. They've they've seen it all. They've heard it all. Sales, sales audiences by and large are tough. I already know I'm going to st- I'm going to start off. Um, And I got this from a a, the the 1999 world champion of public speaking his name is Craig Ballantyne Mm -hmm. and he says begin with a a first a flaw or a frustration Tell a story. That's your first uh, Where you know, you weren't necessarily perfect a flaw or a frustration So I'm gonna tell them a story Mm -hmm. about 2007 when I almost lost my entire business Mm -hmm. you know, this was like the dawn of the worldwide economic crisis and I literally lost two of my clients. One client was a quarter of a million dollars. The other one was a quarter of a million dollars. And in the span of 13 days, I lost a half a million dollars worth of business. Mm. I'm going to begin with that story mm. because I'm going to be introduced just like Craig – I mean, just Eric just introduced me just a couple seconds ago. Hey, the ladies and gentlemen, this is Ed Tate. He's the world champion of public speaking. Mm. You know, year-long competition, 30,000 contestants, and he won it all. All those guys, they're going to have their arms folded, and they says, yeah, okay, this guy better be good. I already know that going in because I this is I've been dealing with this for 19 years. Okay. All right I'm already prepared for that and I know the story I'm going to tell them is go, It's going to grab their attention It's going to put them on the edge of their seats And then I'm going to say like and that you know, I lost it all, you know, I got divorced 1.2 million dollars My son was going to Georgetown University 50 thousand dollars a year. How am I going to pay my bills? Mm. You know and I lived in the state like, if you do to pay your alimony you go to jail, mm. and you, yeah. you know, I know your audience can't see me, but I'm way too pretty for prison. <laughs> <laughs> it would not end well for me. <laughs> I
4: mean, they would pass me around like a joint. It, it wouldn't be a good thing. you know. <laughs> At least you, at least you was know thinking,
3: it. It's funny now, but it wasn't funny then. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I was motivated. I was motivated. <laughs> so anyway, a year later, in the worst economic times of our life, 2008, starting from scratch, I generated $290,000. Mm-hmm. And then the next question I'm going to ask these guys, these, these know-it-alls, these people who have heard everything before, I said, what made the difference? What made the difference? And then... And then one of the things that's going to come out of this is I'm going to tell them, they say, hey, it's never the economy, it's always your economy. You know? So I said, stop paying attention to the news. There's always business out there. If I can find $290,000 in 2008, the Great Depression of our lifetimes, what's your excuse? Mm, so, right. And that's one of the messages that the guy who hired me wants me to tell them. Make sense?
0: No. Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: So, so I so, just told I just told you a story, right? Yes. All of you are going to remember the story.
0: For sure, for sure. So let, let's step back a little bit, Ed. So were you just always a natural when it came to public speaking? Like, like at what point did you know, hey, I'm pretty good at this?
3: Uh, actually, I never felt that way.
0: Uh-huh.
3: See, I'm a stutterer. All right, and there's no cure for stuttering. And, you know, so, you know, I I know people can't see if you raise your hands, but how many of you guys know that children can be the cruelest people on earth? Anybody here know what I'm talking about?
0: Oh, for sure. In
3: terms of teasing, making fun of you? Oh, yeah. So imagine growing up south side of Chicago and you're a stutterer. Okay? It was horrible. So we were moving to a new neighborhood, and I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, so I was determined that in this new neighborhood, O'Keefe Elementary School, no one, no one would know that I was a stutterer, so I after, I would actually, every day before school and after school, I would take a magazine, like an ebony magazine, jet magazine, and I would read, read out loud. And then the other thing I would do is I got pretty good at play-by-play, so, you know, in Chicago, playing basketball outdoors is really, really popular, so I would... I would just, you know, memorize the names of the, you know, the, the, the guys, and I would call play-by-play on the sideline. I got so good at it, they would, they, they would just tell me, you know, who the heroes was, uh, and then I would just do that. But my whole goal here was not to be made fun of. Hmm. So I did that, and then I went to a high school that actually had a TV station. I was a news anchor for four years. And then I go to the University of Illinois, I used to get a job as a, as, as a disc jockey, not at the student run station, at a real radio station, and I was the number one DJ for four years. So looking back on it, my only purpose was not to be made fun of. Hmm. Now what happened was, I got better and better and better at this skill. Looking back on it, all those things prepared me for when I competed for the World Championship of Public Speaking again this is all hindsight at the time when i was competing i never even gave it any thought but was i a natural no and here's the good news if a stutterer can win the world championship of public speaking Mm. what's your excuse
2: yeah
3: you know i got no sympathy for a person who is not a stutterer and they complain about public speaking i got no sympathy whatsoever because if i can do this and this is a learned skill so you, you don't have to be a natural. You don't have to have talent. This is ability that you can learn, and one of the places you can learn this ability is by being in Toastmasters.
0: Yes. Yes. I mean that, that's very inspirational because I, I know I'm sure it people come up to you all the time and say, "Well, yeah, easy for you. You're a natural. Oh yeah, it comes easy for you. You're just so talented." But, yeah. they, but they don't really know the backstory.
1: So we're saying this we're, is hard work. So we're this think, is hard work. We're thinking we're thinking that hey, that you were that guy that was like in. The cafeteria as a kid, and you were getting up and say, "Everybody, I got something I want to share," and you start a presentation. I guess
3: <laughs> <laughs> I guess that, I guess no, that I was, was. I was the quiet kid in the cafeteria. <laughs> wow. I didn't want any attention directed towards me because I don't want to be made fun of. Hmm. So now, I mean, but... and looking back on it, I, I I toast those kids because because they made fun of me, they made me who I am today.
1: Hmm. Wow. So it's probably kids like Britain that were trying to make fun of you, Britain. You got something to say, man? <laughs> listen to, listen to the look, stuttering
2: kid.
1: <laughs> that was Britain.
4: <laughs> look, right, right. If I, if I, if I'd have known that, you know, bullying somebody and, you know, will make them be the world champion <laughs> of anything that they do, that's a heck of a motivation. That's right.
3: <laughs> well, the real irony of me winning the world championship. One of my stories is about bullies. In fact, it's like the three times in my life where I, I, I address bullies. The first bully was I, I went to the school, and there was, uh, there was a white kid who just called me the N-word every single day. Every single day. And then one day he was hanging upside down on the monkey bars, and I did some math. So he's so bold that he's swinging upside down <laughs> on the monkey bars, calling me the N-word. And I did some math. I said to myself, huh. If I punched him, he would probably fall, hit his head, and before he could do anything, I could run away. And that's exactly what
2: happened.
3: (laughs) 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 On top of that, on top of that, I I got grounded for a month, but no kid ever called me those names again. That's bully number one. Bully number two, I was in grade school. And we had this one guy who was in high school. I don't know what the hell he, you know, was hanging around kids who were in grade school. And, you know, we're playing football. And I, I you know, by this time I had like a little bit of, of a mouth on me. And he was always kind of like kind of intimidating us and threatening us. And I finally said like, you know, enough's enough. He said, I'm going to kick your behind. Now, I am wearing a football uniform, okay? I have on a helmet. I have on pads. I have on cleats. I said to myself, damn, if I'm going to get in a uh, fight with a guy who's bigger than me, today's the day. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we got into it. So. And, and this fool was trying to hit, He, I mean, he, I think he broke one of his knuckles, hit me with the, on the helmet. You know, now, I, I won't say I won that fight, but, again, my reputation goes <laughs> in the neighborhood, you know. You addressed,
1: you addressed <laughs> the bully. <laughs> you addressed,
3: I addressed the bully. That's right. The third bullying was when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Now, I told you I was a number one DJ at this radio station
2: mm.
3: um, I replaced this guy so my ratings were so high the guy who had been there before he actually got fired mm. and I you know, I didn't know this you know and this guy was um, uh, he was about six foot three three hundred pounds all muscle
2: mm. mm. I mean
3: this guy was he was a freaking mountain and uh, so he cornered me um, in the parking lot and he said, like you know, you you took my job from me, you know. And if you know what's best for you, you better quit. You better resign. And he says, I'm gonna give you a week to think about it. <laughs> I'm thinking, like, you know, had he, if he wanted the decision right there and there, I would have gave it to him. But <laughs> <laughs> he gave me, gave me time to think about it. Right, right. Now, now at the time, he was a football player at the University of Illinois, mm-hmm. and I was a resident advisor. So even though we're working at this commercial station, we're both students. Mm. And I'm saying to myself, huh, if, and one of the rules, you know, and this is for every university, if you ever strike an RA, guess what, that's grounds for immediate dismissal from the school. Right. Okay. So I said, okay, that's number one. Okay. Uh, number two. So I called up the police and I said, okay, here's what's happening. I says, well. You know, we can't do anything until we actually hit you. I said, wait a minute, that's (laughs) why, what about crime prevention? Have you heard of (laughs) me? I'm trying not to get hit. Right, right, right. I'm trying to keep your statistics down, you know. But then they they said, like, if he does hit you, then he says, you know, we'll come around and arrest him. I says, all right. And then I called my family I told my family what was going on. Well, we had an attorney, and and this guy was at the time an NFL prospect so our attorney got on the phone he says like you know we'll, we'll he says we will take all of his money we'll take everything you know so if he hits you you know so anyway so the day comes and I gotta tell you I was so nervous I couldn't stop shaking I mean I was I mean I said to myself man this guy he's gonna cr- freaking crush me so I kept my hands behind me you know so he couldn't see that my hands were shaking so he said what's it gonna be I says well I says before you do anything rash and by the way on top of everything else now he's got a two by four in his hand. Here is a man, six foot three, six foot four, three hundred pounds, nothing but muscle, and he has a two by four in his hand. You know,
1: <laughs> he really wanted that job, I
3: said, man. I said, what is that for? <laughs> said, Did you not see that you are significantly bigger than me? Okay.
2: Yeah.
3: Anyway, I said, Be- I said before you do anything rash, I said there's a couple things you should know. I said, number one, you know, we both go to the University of Illinois. I says, you're a football player, and I'm a resident advisor. And striking me is immediate grounds from a dismissal from the school. You could say goodbye to your education. I says, I called up the police, and i would let them know what's going on. And if you, if you do hit me, they will arrest you. And guess what? You can say goodbye to your wife and your newborn daughter. I says, and the other thing is, uh, you know, we've retained an attorney. Uh, we know that you are possible first-round NFL draft you could say goodbye to your signing bonus because and by the way I love your Camaro <laughs> now do what you want to do you know and then I was I was I, said, I, 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 I ain't gonna lie to you I was praying Lord please don't hit me don't hit me <laughs> don't hit me don't hit me and the guy just walked away and the lesson was this you know I used my mind
2: mm-hmm. I
3: use my mind to think myself out of this problem and your mind is the greatest weapon that you have. And that's a whole lesson of that, of that story. Because I didn't know another person who was even close to this guy, even if I had two or three friends, I think he still could kick our ass, because he, mm-hmm. you know, he was that big. And so violence was not an option. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing that was not an option was me quitting, because he intimidated me. Mm-hmm. I would never, I couldn't, I couldn't look myself in the mirror if I quit. I said, well, I'd rather get beat up. You know, and beat down as opposed to quitting. So to me, quitting wasn't an option either. But I solved that problem by using my mind. And thank God he gave me the time to think.
1: No, that's a great story. You you also used using that mind when you said you wasn't going to go to prison because you, you knew you was a little too pretty for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <you>, all, <laughs> <that, laughs> all, that, all that thinking in there wasn't going to do nothing,
3: eh? <laughs> <laughs> I got it. There's some the money out here someplace, you know. Right. Now, this is advantage of growing up on the south side of Chicago because I grew up with hustlers. Yeah. And I said to myself, okay, uh, man, the hustlers make money every day. Why can't I? You know, right, this ain't right. nothing. You know, so so I, I just I just did it. I just used the hustler's mindset and applied that towards the corporate world.
0: Mm. So, so we I mean we talk about the power of stories, and I'm sure Ted Britton. As Ed was talking, you can see the guy with the two-by-four in his hand. Oh, yeah. The way Ed oh, told the God. story, I, I, right?
3: I, 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 I didn't remember that until just this moment. I was, I was seeing him. The guy's <laughs> name is Ron. I'm looking
2: up at him. was like, oh, my God, that's why like, he had a freaking two-by-four. <laughs> he had a in his
0: <laughs> Yeah, he had something for so, you, boy. But I bet that's the power oh, of stories. Oh, <laughs> and, and I'll bet you I'm I'll have listeners come up to me and tell me about that story. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's it's, it's just so memorable, the way Ed uh, just told that story. So we've got Ed Tate. He's the 2000 world champion of public speaking. So let's talk about that. So you were one of the very few in the history of Toastmasters to win the world championship on your first attempt. So, so mm-hmm. share with our listeners. We've got quite a few Toastmasters that listen. What are some st- what steps did you take to prepare as you were advancing from round to round?
3: There's two things. There's two philosophies. Actually, I have three philosophies that, um, that I use. Uh, not one philosophy was the audience decides. Uh, another philosophy is sameness is the enemy of the presenter. Hmm. And the, the, the third philosophy is I was not going to do the things that the, the traditional Toastmasters way. If you will, okay. So, for example, let's talk about sameness as the enemy of presenter. So, typically, a lot of toastmasters they had this habit. The habit is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, toastmasters and guests, and anyone who's ever done blank. That's a very common phrase and ex- common expression used in toastmasters. Mm-hmm. That introduction is designed for a new toastmaster to give that person structure. However, if you're a seasoned person and you're still using that, like after a couple of years, you know you're not that creative. So I actually called up Toastmasters International and I said, um, hey, do I actually have to use that expression? They said no. So in all three of my speeches, I never used that phrase. I did not want to sound like the other competitors. Mm. Okay? So that was, that was number one. Um, other things that, uh, that I did, I never liked to watch other speakers. Mm. So I said, hey, do I have to be in the room? They said, no, you just have to, like, when it's your turn, you just have to be ready. I said, okay, cool. So I never watched other speakers. I said to myself, this time is more valuable for me to actually practice and rehearse. Now, Ted, I'm the exact opposite of you. I'm a, I believe in rehearsing big time because mm-hmm. um, every – for one minute of rehearsal will save you 10 minutes of rambling. Hmm. Okay? Every minute that you practice and you rehearse, you will get to the point that much quicker. quicker.
1: So, ba- so basically so – so basically, what you're saying is, I probably won't ever be the world champion of, of public speaking, because I, because I'm going to ramble a little bit. Because I'm just going to go, go off and shoot from the hip. Okay, a bit. well, you know,
3: it, it, I, I can't say that. It's not for me to say. <laughs> but, the, but, 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 the odds are not in your favor. <laughs> <laughs> there will
1: be some rambling. Just, there'll be, there'll be some rambling okay. for sure.
3: Okay, <laughs> that's right. And, and by the way, that doesn't mean that you, you won't be a great speaker. It's just like this is a contest. Think of it as a beauty contest. Oh yeah. Well. Okay. Just think of it as like only one person wins out of thirty thousand. So the the, the, odds, the odds literally are not in your favor. No. Okay. So the other thing neither, is so that's the
4: beauty contest. Neither with the beauty contest. Said.
1: Well, Britain, if you said I had a good chance in a beauty contest, I'd have an issue with that. So, thank you. I look at that as a compl- as a compliment from you. And Britain, is, and Britain is a close friend of yours. You, the odds are not in your favor on a beauty contest either. Okay.
3: So, anyway, sameness is the enemy of a presenter. I didn't want to sound like the other competitors. That was like number one. Number two, the audience decides. So, I actually tested my my material. In front of let's see my my championship speech I I trusted that in front of twenty plus audiences Mm. and I would record every single one of those. By the way, when uh, recording yourself is the best way to improve your presentation skills. Okay, so uh, by the way, you look like that, you sound like that. Just get over it, okay? Mm. Because people always saying like, I don't like the way I look, I don't like the way I sound. We had to look and listen. It's your turn, okay? (laughs) uh, (laughs) Right. So anyway, um, so I I, the audience decides. So I would actually record myself. I would also have it transcribed. So I would I would watch the video and see what worked. And if there's parts of my speech that no matter how many different ways I tried them, it didn't work, it got cut. No matter how attached to it I may be. So the audience decides. But so by the time I got on that stage, between like what is it, 2,500 people. I knew every word, every syllable, every comma, every explanation point, every line. I knew every line would work because it had been tested in front of 20 different audiences. Hmm. The other thing that I, uh, the other philosophy I had was that uh, rather than getting advice from well-meaning, good-intentioned Toastmasters, and by the way, um, there's nothing wrong with feedback from Toastmasters. But the one thing in uh, my career, on uh, my business career, I've always known this. The top performers think differently from everybody else. Top performers, that top 1%, that top 2%, they just see the world differently. And so I decided to, I actually approached about a half dozen world champions of public speaking. So, for example, my my championship speech, you you actually see it on my, my website, it's called One of Those Days. And it, it has audience participation. Now, at the time, there had ne- there had never been in the contest, in the history of the contest, a speech that included audience participation. Wow. And everyone, 95% of well-meaning, good-intentioned Toastmasters, people who had never won the contest, told me, don't do it. The judges won't like it. But when I went to the champions, they said, that's the game changer. Mm. You know, they said, go for it. Winners think differently. So I got advice from people who had already won the competition. Mm-hmm. So those are the three strategies that I used that were different. Same as, as the enemy of the presenter, the audience decides, and I got advice from the people who had already won the contest.
0: Excellent. Excellent. I think everybody tries to, a lot of people try to fit in, but the, the key to really getting into that next level is to be different and, and to really think yep. about people that have the result that you want in, in modeling them. Fantastic. So so you won the World Championship of Public Speaking. Was it the life-changing event that you thought it would be? Like, How did that impact your career?
3: Well, you know, see, I didn't know what the thing was. So like, what had happened is I joined Toastmasters, Cherry Creek Toastmasters in Denver, Colorado. Uh, there was a, a guy by the name of Randall Shelton who had actually founded the club, and he says, hey, you're really, really good. You need to enter this thing called the World Championship of Public Speaking. Now, at the time I had a job, I was traveling at the time, it was impossible for me to actually enter the competition, but every single meeting, I mean, t- I used to go to weekly meetings, this man would, you know, pound on me about entering this contest, and it was starting to get really awkward, and it was like, I was at the point where, like, okay, I'm going to stop going to this club because I'm tired of this man talking about this contest, and um, so anyway, I changed jobs, so I became the training director for the Denver Rocky Mountain News, and I was no longer traveling. And the first thing Randall says is, "Hey, you can enter this contest." And I said to myself, "I can enter this damn contest, you know." <laughs> so, so I had a I had a conversation with Randall, and I said, "Randall, here's the deal. I'm only going to enter this contest one time. The moment I lose, okay, we'll never have this conversation again." I never lost. <laughs> so, uh, and so, I never knew what to expect. So I win the comp. I win the contest. And then, immediately, my life changed. It was really interesting. So uh, I won the, the, the competition in Miami Beach, Florida. And it was at a, it, it's at their, their convention. And every day, I would just kind of walk around. And then, for whatever reason, that year, they haven't done it since. But that year, all the contestants had this special badge. It was like this fluorescent color. So you could see that we were in the World Championship of Public Speaking. And it was it almost like repelled people because no one would, you know, kind of no one would talk to you. And I remember thinking like the night before the contest, I said to myself, huh, and I was like in a room that was like a thousand people. I said to myself, man, if I win this contest, it's gonna go from no one, you know, right now no one's even noticing me to everyone wants a piece of me. And that's exactly what happened. I stepped off the stage and there was like again two thousand people in the room and it felt like all two thousand people came toward me. They had some security people. People were pressing me so hard in this corner. Literally, at one point in time, I literally couldn't breathe. Mm. It was scary. And then for the next two hours, I just signed autographs mm. and it just did t- take pictures. And then I got invitations to speak from, like, you know, for example, I got this, um, uh, the coolest invitation I got was that, that I went in the year 2000. The 2000 Olympics were in Sydney, Australia. Yep. And so the people who were Toastmasters, they said, hey, would you like to you and your family to come to Australia to speak? I'm thinking like, you know, he had me in Australia. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> did hear a word after that. You know? <laughs> and, um, and unfortunately, my wife, for whatever reason, she uh, – this is my first wife. For whatever reason, she, there was a complication with her passport. She didn't get it in time. So it was just me and my son who went. And, you know, that just, you know, um, led to – i mean me traveling around the world i've been to 25 different countries i've spoken in all 50 states i've spoken to every province in canada um and then i mean like after i'm going to say within six months of me winning the competition i decided you know what i want to do this full time Mm. so i quit my day job and by the way i don't advise that (laughs) i was in special circumstances and what i mean by that is i'm a former executive in the computer industry we had let me put it to you this way financially if i didn't want to i didn't have to work for five years hmm. so i was in a position where i could quit my job and i told my wife this "I said, you know here here's the deal i want to do this your lifestyle will not change you will not you won't notice a difference in our lifestyle and if i can't make this thing work after a year then you know I've, i'm a i have a reputation in the industry i can always go back and be an executive which was true now <clears throat> what i did was i kept that promise i didn't get it off the ground as much as i would like after a year i did go out interview uh, got another executive position but i told him i wouldn't start for six months because <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to get like another six months and that six months was the difference between really helping me to start my business and um so and i've been doing this full-time ever since so i love my job <clears throat> my, my first wife and i unfortunately we got we got divorced um, and then I actually met my second wife uh, five, you know, five and a half years ago while well, I was on tour in South Africa. So <laughs> and um, so uh, My life I've, I'm living beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, I'm I, I Don't say this to brag or impress anyone but like I'm you know, I live on a golf course. I don't play golf <laughs> But I live on a golf course And it's where we live is absolutely gorgeous. There's a lake um, I look out I look out of my window every single day. We're surrounded by mountains. It is complete and absolute beauty and again I'm not just I'm not trying to brag or you know and try to impress anybody But every morning I wake up and I'm living the life that I love and you know, I've got I got this beautiful woman I've got this beautiful child. I got you know the, the relationship of my life um, and Again, like I said Eric to answer the question to the, the short version I'm living way beyond my wildest dreams. Wow great
0: that is excellent so talk to our listeners about this the, all this, the different services that you offer through your company obviously you, you go out and you speak for uh, associations and corporations what, what other services do you offer
3: okay well like you said like I, I help on en- enterprises and entrepreneurs win high-stakes business presentations that is like if you got a presentation that's online you like, for example this group that hired me in uh for you know here in las vegas you know they you know their business is down by five percent so they want me to teach them some of my techniques the things i use that makes a difference in terms of closing business my close ratio is in in excess of 86 Mm percent so you know i have a very very high close ratio and i teach organizations how to close that business so i um, other products and services well eric as you've already talked about this okay you're you're one of my former coaching clients Mm -hmm. so about Um, And actually, I'm kind of cutting down on this, but about 20% of my business is coaching people. So uh, whether I advertise it or not, by the way, there is no advertising on my website for Toastmasters coaching for the World Championship of Public Speaking. There's zero. However, since I won the World Championship of Public Speaking, every year, whether I want to or not, people contact me. (laughs) And a couple of years ago, three years ago... I coached a kid. His name is Darren Tay. He became the 2016 world champion of public speaking. And wow. guess what? It, it went crazy. Hmm. It went absolutely crazy. So after he won, so I've got this reputation for you know helping you win. But that's just you know Toastmasters is just like a fraction of my business. It's like one to two to three percent of my business. Uh, I, I coach executives on how to breathe life into their business presentations, and that is the lion's share of my coaching uh, business, if you will. So if you need help, you know. If you've got, like, again, you've got a high-stakes business presentation coming up, or if you need to breathe life into your business presentations, I'm your guy.
0: All right. Wow. Excellent. And so, what's the best? What's the best way for people to get in contact with you?
3: Okay, that's easy. Um, uh, my name is Ed Tate, E D T A T E. dot com. That's my website. Uh, I can be reached at info at edtate. dot com. And uh, again go to my website. Um, I'm also on YouTube. I'm also on uh, LinkedIn Uh, Facebook I'm really really slow on Facebook and there's a reason for that number one. I get so many um, Facebook requests after I speak so Hmm. my staff actually handles my my social media on Facebook If you reach out to me on LinkedIn uh, You probably have a better Chance of actually uh, getting a hold of me because again, it's just uh, frankly, it's overwhelming on Facebook in terms of the number of people. Like for example, I like i when I speak, it's anywhere from 1,000. Like well, my my record is like Vancouver two years ago, I spoke in front of 12,000 people. Hmm. Uh, I'm still trying to respond <laughs> to mm-hmm. those people from that presentation. It's, wow, it's kind of crazy. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay, Britain, um, you have a question. You want to chime in?
4: So Ed, the uh, you know I, I come from a, um, a a political background, working with politicians, <clears> and uh, and I know you know as we're watching the campaign season ramp up, we're seeing things like the debate. Uh, how would you would you just briefly talk about how hard it is to um, express yourself and you know get across an idea of why you should be chosen for something in like a minute and thirty seconds? You know what I mean? You know, that, mm-hmm. that, that short window of time you have to really sell yourself. How difficult is that for, for, for people to get engaged?
3: Um, so it is extremely difficult. So but one of the things I teach in my courses is we teach something called a verbal business card and a one-minute pitch. A verbal business card is ten words or less or ten seconds or less of what you do. So, For example, like one of my my verbal business cards. So, for example, if I was speaking in front of a room full of executives, okay, and so what I would do is I would say, you know, hey Ed, what do you do? I help executives breathe life into their business presentations. That's my that's my ten seconds. That's my verbal business card.
2: Hi, welcome. Verbal business cards.
3: Awesome, that's a great thing. Okay, Um, but the people who are interested, they'll say, well, tell me more about that. Okay, and those are the people I'm going to have conversation. The purpose of the verbal business card is not to sell anybody on anything, it's to start a conversation. Then you have something called a one minute pitch. And a one minute pitch goes like this so you're asked a question. So if it's a politician, um, they're asked a question. What I would do, as opposed to jumping into the question, I would pause for three seconds. Pausing for three seconds actually creates drama, it creates buildup, it also makes you look like you're thoughtful. Okay? Then I would do like in the next uh, 10 to 15 seconds, I would uh, articulate what the problem or the issue is. So uh, you know, it's like, you know, here's a problem, here's the issue, et cetera. And then the next 20 to 25 seconds, I would actually talk about my solution or my answer uh, to, uh, to that particular issue. And then from there, uh, depending on what you want to happen next is I would finish that last 10 seconds over. So and I, I coach business people and salespeople so the last 10 seconds is some form of call to action. So like if you're in front of investors, you know, you know, please introduce me to such and such or you know, hey, please make, you know, make a buy right now, etc. A politician I would have to th- I don't work with politicians, so that's that's not my that's not my ninja skill. But that I would use that template and they would probably that, that last 10 seconds I would probably leave, leave that up to them. But you're right, it is difficult, but it can be done. And if you take the time to think it through, guess what? You come across as more, you come across as better and sharper and more thoughtful than the person who rambles. Give me a person who gives me a short, concise answer that's well thought out versus someone who rambles. The person with a concise answer will win every single time.
0: And you bring up something interesting, Ed, because a lot of executives, they they have very short attention spans. Mm. So if you oh, yeah. if you can get your point across and really summarize the value you bring in a short statement that just gives you a competitive edge.
3: Well, let me let me just sh- let me share with you how I just won this deal. Okay, so I get a call. To, I, no, it was uh, through my website. Someone contacts me through the website. They said like we're looking to hire speakers in Vegas. And the reason we're looking to hire speakers in Vegas is because we don't want to pay travel expenses. That, that's one of the reasons I moved to Vegas, because I want to get additional speaking engagements because for people who don't want to pay. Uh, travel expenses. Okay, so that's, okay, cool, my strategy is just working. And they said, so we're looking at it like, and they told me, so we're looking at a dozen speakers. I said, okay, cool, that's fine. I said, like, I'd like to, you know, spend 10 minutes with you, and, you know, why do you, why are you having this meeting, and what, what's going on? So I'm meeting with the vice president of sales, and then my goal is not to to win the job of being a speaker my goal is to find out what's the problem why are they bringing these people in the room okay and one of the reasons there uh, what I discovered is they, they're bringing the people in the room because their sales are down by five percent I found out that that five percent equals to you know this is a small business it's equal to 1.2 million dollars here's what I've just done I've just monetized their problem okay so One of the ways that you get the attention of a vice president, a CEO, or an executive is the first thing out of your mouth is uh, I have a way to actually not only uh, increase sales by a million dollars, but like, you know, by working with me, your team should be able to double that. Guess what? This is okay. I'm listening. Here's what I also did. Okay. When I start having a business conversation, it eliminated all the other speakers. Because what were all the other speakers talking about? They were talking about their workshops. They're talking about their keynotes. They're talking about their books. They're talking about their online programs. They're talking about delivery mechanisms. Guess what I'm talking about? I'm talking about solving a business problem. Mm. I'm perceived as a business partner, not a speaker. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's how you separate yourself. That's how you separate yourself from anybody. If you're the person who can solve their problem, they will pay you money no matter what. So now that I've monetized the problem, guess what I did, okay? So my fee is $15,000. I gave them a proposal for $50,000. Now they said, whoa, time out. This is not, you know, what we're looking to do. I said, I understand that. I said, number one, one keynote or one workshop is not gonna solve this million dollar problem. I'm proposing a solution that will like, you know, that it's a year long program working with your sales team that, you know, we will make sure that we will double your sales. We'll get the five percent that you lost. Plus, we'll you know add another five percent on top of that. So I gave him, a, I gave them a comprehensive solution. I says, and it's going to cost you fifty grand. All right. So they, they did not go for it. However, they hired me for this engagement. You know what they're doing? This is my audition. So they're they're paying me. They're paying me my fee, but it's an audition. It's a paid audition. Because, like, if, they, if, if the team likes me, and, and more importantly, the CEO, a guy by the name of Robert, if he likes me, guess what he's going to do? The next thing we're going to do is we're going to have a conversation about that $50,000. Mm. So here's, you know, this is what I learned from my, my first coach, and his name was Alan Weiss And Alan said, think of the, for, the fourth sale first. Whenever you're selling your products and your services, think of that fourth sale. The fourth sale, actually, this is the third sale. The fourth sale is they hire me Uh, The year after next, and they pay me a hundred grand, they put me on a hundred thousand dollar retainer. That's that's my mindset, that's how I think. Does that make sense? Mm
0: -hmm. No, definitely. Yes, it does. Think of the fourth sale first. All right. Well, this has been awesome, and and you really shared a lot with our listeners. Now, we have listeners that are in business and they're, they're wanting to kind of jump out there and start doing more presentations and take their business to the next level. All they need to do is listen to this oh, yeah. over and over again, and they'll, they'll have some tools to help them to improve their public speaking and get over that fear. So we're going to shift a little bit. We're going to go into our Around the Horn segment, and this is where we leave our listener with a closing thought. So, Ed, I mean, you, you shared a whole bunch of different things. Is, is there one more thing that you can share with our listeners so they can remember you by
3: you know, here is I have like a list of uh, ten things that uh, come up on reminders for me every day, and as a fact, like I am actually looking at my r- reminders right now. I'm gonna pull them up. One of my my, my thoughts that I, I one of my first reminders that comes up every day is never put up a zero. Mm. And what I mean by that is I'm a solopreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. I've been in business for 19 years, regardless of the economy. I still have to make things happen. You know, I'm, I'm married. I've got like a little kid, and you know, I got to provide for my family. You know, so as a man, I got to be the provider. So what I mean by put, never put up a zero is never have a day go by where I don't reach out to these four walls and ask for business. Mm. Now, am I going to get a yes every day? Of course not. But you know what? The answer is no unless you if you don't try. The answer is always no if you don't try. Mm. So I, so those, those are, you know, that's one thought is for me is never put up a zero. Now, if I do put up a zero because my schedule got busy, et cetera, and I didn't reach outside my four walls, here's the other part of that equation. Don't beat yourself up just because you didn't reach outside your four walls. You did the very best that you could. Maybe there were some circumstances out of your control on that particular day. Don't beat yourself up because that does you absolutely no good. You start a new winning streak the next day. So never, never put up a zero. But if you do put up a zero, don't beat yourself up. Go to bed, hug your family. You know, have fun with your friends, play some softball, and uh, and then start again uh, the next day.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. excellent. Never put up a zero, and don't beat yourself up if you do happen to put up a zero. Yep. All right. Great. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, Ted.
1: I mean, Ed said so, so much today. I mean, you know, uh, one of the things I just, I think I got out of this the most was just, uh, you know, just really be kind of focused on your audience, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of your your presentation. I mean, everything is like, it's not so much about you. It's kind of more about the audience and and strategies to try to quickly catch the audience, how he used kind of the audience kind of uh, engagement in order to kind of differentiate himself, I thought that was, you know, was very, uh, you know, was 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 very uh, was very key to to his success. Um, so yeah, just a lot of things. I've just been taking notes and writing all over the place. So I really enjoyed this uh, this discussion. And then, then and then also Thank you. and then also the the bully story I thought was pretty interesting, right? <laughs> and, and you heard the short version. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. All right. Britton.
4: Uh, let me let me just plug this in. Uh, Eric. Uh, the thirty minute hour does not condone nor advocate uh, <laughs> any uh, bullying or violence among teens. So there you go. let me just plug that <laughs> plug that in there. <laughs> uh, one thing that I wanted to, to talk about and everything Ed said was uh was was pretty spot on, was pretty was pretty great. For our listeners um, another thing I was reading an article about um, Gloria Vanderbilt uh, mm. Anderson Cooper's mom and who, who recently mm. passed away and they called her the ultimate master of reinvention um, in the late 1960s um, Life magazine uh, actually called her and here's 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 my here's my little plug to, to that uh, Life magazine called her a feminine version of a Renaissance man mm. and it it, it it caught her, like, basically the original celebrity influencer uh, because she was bold enough to think outside the box uh, that people would actually wear her name on their backside. And then, of course, she would sell them clothes. Um, and so the idea of constantly reinventing herself, uh, making herself the commodity, mm. and that coupled with everything that Ed said, I think, would... We would see our listeners become bold enough to step outside the comfort zone uh, and continue to reinvent themselves. Uh, and who knows, we may have so many more Renaissance men and women to join our show.
0: Mm. <laughs> wow. That's pretty good,
1: mm-hmm.
0: He He's the Renaissance man.
1: Told you, even if he's
0: late, I tell I'm you, he
1: come on, but he got something to say.
0: That's right. That was great. Thanks for sharing that. So, my, my around the horn piece, it, like Ed said a lot of great things. One of the things that I hit on where he said nervousness is a gift, mm. and a lot of times we we look at people and think, oh well, obviously they don't get nervous. And I remember I was um, I was on a program, speaking at this event, and there's a, another pastor who's on mm. the program with me, oh, boy. and she, you know, she's polished, great speaker. And her and I are talking backstage, and she says, You know what? I am really nervous. Wow. I was shocked. Wow. And she preaches to her congregation every Sunday, but that just shows you that if, you feel, if you've ever felt nervous, you're not alone. Hmm. You know, you just have to embrace that. But the difference is she went out there and did it. Hmm. And that's the key. You just have to do it scared.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh-huh. You know, if, if Ed Tate gets nervous, that, that that shows you. I mean, nervousness is a gift. We have to embrace it. It, it shows that you care about the moment, Absolutely. Uh-huh. And, and that you really you you want to do your best. But it, it's okay to be nervous. You can't let nervousness stop you.
1: So I got one quick question, Ed. So so once you you won uh-huh. once you won the championship, right? I mean, mm-hmm. did, did they give you like a belt, like you were like, <laughs> it was like the world? I like, mean, like, I mean, I mean, the I mean, champ what, is here. That's right,
2: that's right.
1: right. <laughs> Everybody, your fans are. Oh, with him, he's never gonna shut up now. He's the world champion of public speaking. <laughs> you know who I am, okay, though. So you know, know be, who I am. Yeah.
4: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the world. I'm the world champ. You know I got something to say. You, oh well, man, you, I, I got a,
3: you, you I got yourself. a quick story. You I got, I got a quick story for you. So what they give you is a Lucite trophy, no money. Okay, you just get this Lucite trophy.
4: Okay.
3: Anyway, this this trophy is so thick and big, you can't pack it in your luggage. So you have to, you have to carry it with you. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm leaving. Let's say i won in Miami Beach, Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a uh, Miami Heat basketball player who was at the airport. Mm. So he's actually in in the, uh, the, the like uh, a couple like a concourse, not a concourse over, a couple gates over from where I am. And so I walk in, I got my trophy, and there's a bunch of Toastmasters who had flew in from around the world to <laughs> see this. So all of a sudden, people see me with my trophy, and all of a sudden, dozens upon dozens of people start to circle me and start asking me for, for autographs. So here's this basketball player looking at me. He's like, who in the hell is that? And, <laughs> and the people who were getting autographs from him, all of a sudden, like, they looked at him and was just like, okay, we're going over here.
1: <laughs> That's the champ. Hercules. Hercules. The champ. That's the champ. The <laughs> champ. That's the champ. Oh, Damn, man. That yeah. was too funny. Oh, man. But,
3: but you get you get this you get a loose trophy. That's that's basically it. And um, however, you do have the this honor this this title that you know follows you for the rest of your life. It's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I can never have a bad day on stage. Mm-hmm. So when you're introduced as a world champion of public speaking, guess what? Expectations are automatically raised.
2: Yeah.
3: I would love to be. I would love for someone not to introduce me as a world champion of public speaking. And for them to have zero to you know no expectations and for me to blow them away yeah but you know what it is what it is and I know that going in mentally so my my mindset is I got to blow this audience away every single time Wow every single time that's my mindset I can't have a bad day I can't I can't have an off day I can't I can't I can't you know half-step it you know Mm. one of the things I wanted to you know to to talk to you about today is you know it's uh, back timing you know, uh, back timing, again, I, I was a disc jockey, and back timing is basically working your way backwards. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if, like, you know, for example, this podcast, okay, this podcast is a certain amount of time,
2: okay? Mm-hmm.
3: So if we were, like, if, if this was a live podcast and it went from 4 until 5, we would have to use back timing. So you would have to, if you had commercial breaks, you would have to figure out the commercial breaks. I would have to figure out the lengths of the songs. Uh, we, had, we had weather and we had sports. So I have to calculate all these times so that I could end in this particular case at the top of the hour mm-hmm. so we'd have to back time well you know back timing actually helps you as well so for example my wife and I we're flying to Denver Colorado this is our first trip with our newborn baby we're back timing right now so we're actually we've made a list of all things that we need to do okay so we you know our flight takes off at 120 okay how long is it going to take us to get there okay well we need to get there at least you know way earlier than we have before so we're going to leave the house at 10 o'clock okay so we're going to leave it even though like it's only a 25 minute drive but you know we don't know what to anticipate we don't know what to expect etc we're going to leave early okay so um so what does that mean that means like okay well we're not going to pack the night before we're going to we're packing today we've been packing on sunday we've been packing today as soon as i get off the phone with you guys i'm headed straight to the dry cleaners to pick up my dry cleaning you know and so i can pack that Um, I've already planned, I have like a half a dozen appointments this past week. I've got two coaching clients who are in the world championship of public speaking. So I'm going to be working with them. I've got another customer in Denver and you know, they're a hundred thousand dollar client. So they want me to meet the big boss. So we, we've scheduled a, a, a meeting on Friday afternoon. So again, I've already scheduled all these appointments. I've already scheduled how much time is going to get to each one of these. And by the way, here's something else. Add what we call a a 50% buffer. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, if you think it's going to take you 30 minutes, add another 15. You know, so it's called extreme preparation. This is in the book Essentialism. Mm -hmm. And by using a combination of back timing and extreme preparation, you will never ever miss a deadline. You know, for example, for me, for keynotes, I've got I've got three keynotes in September so guess guess what guess I'm practicing and rehearsing now okay I'm practicing and rehearsing now so by the time I actually make it to I do this presentation on the 11th or when I fly down to Atlanta to do that presentation or when I fly down to Dallas to do that particular presentation I'm gonna be I'm gonna get a good night's sleep because guess what all the work has already been done I'm not gonna be practicing the night before I'm gonna be relaxing the night before If there's any type of social function which is going on the night before, I'll be completely present. I'm going to be socializing because I've already put my work in. By, again, back timing, working in reverse, and adding, again, a 50% buffer using the concept of extreme preparation.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I teach um, with with my clients and my audiences. What I find, and you probably see this too, there's something called the planning fallacy where we're just bad at predicting how long things really take. And we assume best case scenario, right? We assume there's never going to be traffic. We assume nothing's ever going to go wrong. We assume we're never going to misplace our keys. So, so that that buffer helps you to offset all those things that are going to happen at some point.
3: Well, you know, for example, like uh, my wife and I, we had a pediatrician's uh, appointment. Just this just happened last week. I says, "Hun, you know, we're gonna, you know, extreme preparation." She says, "Well, we don't need to get there, hun. Extreme preparation." So, as it turns out, our doctor has three different locations and for whatever reason when we called to set the appointment they actually scheduled us at the wrong location so we went to the the office that we normally go to this is oh no the doctor's not here today that's like a 20-minute ride away but because we had practice extreme preparation we had built in this buffer it gave us enough time to you know comfortably drive across town and we actually made the appointment on time Mm mm-hmm And then, and we didn't, you know, we weren't yelling at each other, we weren't screaming at each other, we weren't blaming each other. You know, it was just like we just kind of chilled and took our time. So that's one of the benefits. It just takes away all that stress.
0: Yes, it does. All right. Well, well, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because Ted and Britton get mad at me when I bring up my procrastination principles here Uh on the 30 minute hour. Uh I'm <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> so that was it. Ed. Right, that right, end, right. Ed, was that? Yeah. You
1: know, I was just into thinking about Ed. What's it like, man? You know, you have kids and all, and it's kind of like, man, if they know that they're in trouble and they got to come home, and it's like, oh boy. I know Dad is gonna give dad's
3: gonna give me one of these speeches. <laughs> oh, okay. So, all right. So, like uh, again, I'm I'm a you know I, I have a five month old and I have a 32 year old. My my boy just got married last year. Oh, wow. So um, one of the things I won the world championship when he was I don't know eight nine ten, and uh, one of the things that was really cool about this thing is it's like son, and YouTube had just come out. I said, son, I'm a, I will turn you into a speech, and i will have you on YouTube forever. You know, <laughs> that was the greatest motivation ever. He would do whatever I tell him. I didn't even have to give him the speech. I would just have to threaten, you know, to, to give him the speech. You yeah, that's funny. And, uh, and I said, I'm gonna I'm make a story up about you, and it'll be on YouTube forever. You know, all your friends will see this. You know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's funny. All yeah. right. So Ed, thank you again. For appearing on the 30-minute hour can you just share your contact information one more time for our listeners I know they want to reach out to you so they can take their game to the next level
3: oh absolutely so again the website is edtate.com e.com, and you can reach me at info, info at edtate.com
0: great all right and again uh, you can find the 30-minute hour podcast you can go to Facebook Uh, You can go to Instagram. You can go to YouTube. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher and Anchor. Um, You type in the 30-minute hour and you will find us. We're Not Your Everyday Podcast. This concludes this week's episode. Until next time, have a great one.